I told her what I'd just seen, and she admitted that it was all a bit weird as the servant's bell kept ringing, showing that there was someone at the front door, but when she went to open it, there was no one there. Welcome back to Dark House. I'm Hadley Mendelson. And I'm Elsa Fiorentino. We are your co-hosts. In each episode, we tell you the true stories behind famous haunted houses or homes that are notorious for some reason or another. But in today's episode, we are going to do things a little bit differently. It's almost 2023, which means it's also time to officially close the book on season two. And we have been so overwhelmed in a good way with your response to this season and the houses that we've decided to cover. It's a really great feeling knowing that you all are interested in these houses and stories as much as we are. One of the most exciting and rewarding things for us this season was launching our Instagram at Dark House Podcast because it's allowed us to chat directly with all of you and hear your thoughts on the houses as you listen to each episode, but also because it has created this space where Dark House listeners can send us their own personal experiences with paranormal activity. And truly, nothing brings us more joy than hearing your ghost stories. So we thought a really fun way to close out the season would be to share some of our favorite listener-submitted ghost stories with the class. (laughs) And we were able to get a couple listeners to actually record their stories themselves so you can hear it straight from them. So you can get a break from our vocal fry. (laughs) Yeah. Are you ready? So we're going to play a couple clips for you now. Our first story is from Lisa Byrne in the UK. Lisa actually grew up in a haunted house, so here is her story. Hello, Hadley and Elisa, and all your gruesome, spooky-loving listeners at Dark House Podcast. I hope you're all having a horrific day. My name is Lisa Byrne. I live in what is probably the most haunted city in the world, completely notorious for its ghosts. It's the city of York, which hails back centuries, thousands of years, right through to Roman, pre-Roman, Anglo-Saxon Vikings. We've had lots of bloodshed in our city. It's very beautiful and I hope you all visit soon. I'm here to tell you about the house I grew up in, in which I had quite a few unfortunate awful experiences if I'm being totally honest. We lived there for about 20 years. It's a large detached house, Edwardian. It's probably built around the early 1900s and it's on the outskirts of York. After spending 20 years there, if you offered me a million pounds, I would not spend the night there on my own, not ever. What happened was, it's a beautiful, imposing Edwardian building. It's got loads of oak panelling, a small servant's quarters with an Edwardian servant's bell box for summoning staff, an absolutely idyllic, beautiful garden with a secret air raid shelter and hidden orchard. So, as a young child, it was the most heavenly place to be. But then things started happening My first experience was when I was walking up the hill to our house. Our house was kind of isolated up this hill. There wasn't really anything around it. So I was walking up there and saw a dapper gentleman standing by our Art Deco style entrance porch. He was wearing tweeds plus fours and looked like 
he was joining a hunting and shooting party. He'd really suit being on one of the earlier Crown episodes, actually. I became alarmed when he just disappeared in front of my eyes. And then I rushed in the back entrance to the house and found my mother in the kitchen. Frantically, I told her what I'd just seen. And she admitted that it was all a bit weird as the servant's bell kept ringing, showing that there was someone at the front door. But when she went to open it, there was no one there. However, the bell continued to ring, which totally freaked us both out. Just a few weeks later, my mother was downstairs at home listening to the radio with our little Yorkshire terrier, Toby. Being a very hardy Irish woman, she was not afraid when she heard very heavy footsteps above on the landing. She just thought it was an intruder. She headed upstairs and just shouted that she'd call the police and told the intruder to skedaddle. But as she crept down the landing towards the guest room, my mum could hear the sound of a girl crying and she went to the door, which was slightly ajar. But when she went to push it open, the heavy oak door slammed into her face. After a few minutes of her pushing, my mum finally managed to force the door open only to walk into an empty room with a horrendous atmosphere, which was as cold as the Arctic. Bear in mind, this was in August, over a very, very hot period. But by far my most horrific experience was when I was revising for my A-levels. I was lying on my front in bed one evening, reading about the Tudors, when my door slowly creaked open. I was immediately on edge as my parents had learned not to enter my room without knocking first. However, before I could turn my head to chastise them, someone, or rather something, sat on my bed as the mattress nearly collapsed under its weight. Suddenly, a hand grabbed me round the back of my neck and started violently pushing my face into the pillow. (sighs) I was absolutely terrified, but I finally mustered the courage to scream an expletive and it disappeared but I lay there until dawn because I was just too terrified to move my face from the pillow just in case it whatever it was was still there. Visitors to our old family home have also encountered weird experiences. My cousin Paul came over from Ireland for a weekend with lots of my other cousins and he stayed in the main guest room. One night he woke up after swallowing blood and discovered he was having a very, very heavy nosebleed. Rushing to the guest loo for tissues, Paul opened the door only to find a little girl standing there who slowly tugged at the loo roll and held it up to his nose to stop the bleeding. Paul said he didn't feel in the least bit scared of this serene spectre. However, the girl stroked his face and only days later he managed to develop a rash of small blisters. Further back diagnosis shingles at exactly the same spot where she had touched him, which was absolutely horrifying because he was very poorly for a long time. The most recent experience was a few years ago when I had a group of friends up and we were driving away from the house down the hill. A friend in the back of the car became hysterical as she had turned around and spotted the face of a little girl staring back at us from an upstairs window as we departed. We don't live there anymore, and I'm sure it's absolutely fine now, but 
when we were there, it definitely had a very spooky atmosphere. I now live in a farmhouse which is around five to six hundred years old. Thankfully, there seems to be no weird spirits here. So when Lisa first sent her story, I lost it at the part about her cousin getting shingles where the little girl ghost touched his face. I feel like obviously the shingles contagion effect, even from a ghost or a non-physical entity at least, is terrifying. But for me, the story that really gets under my skin is the one about her bedroom, just because that must have felt so invasive and immobilizing. It made me really anxious hearing it even. I hope she's recovered. Yeah, me too. But thank you so much, Lisa, for sharing your story with us. Lisa's actually a former magazine editor and has written about her experience growing up in this haunted house. So if you would like to read more about Lisa's childhood home, we've linked the full article in the show notes. Our next story is from Jed, who also sees ghosts like me. My name is Jed Hoffman, and I'm a theater artist based around Philadelphia. A little bit about me is that I had been having spiritual events happen to me ever since I was a kid. And they stopped happening once I got to around middle school age. But when I got to college, my sense came back almost with a vengeance where I started seeing things a lot more vividly and more frequently. My senses all increased where now I could hear things more clearly. My sense of energy where I could feel energies in rooms became much more heightened and I can see apparitions. This story takes place when I was in college and I went to college in Center City, Philadelphia, right off of Broad Street, just a couple blocks from City Hall. And this part of Philadelphia has a lot of history and places like this, ghosts and spirits tend to migrate towards very often. This event happened at a antique vintage musical instrument store. Most people in Philadelphia who live in Center City might know this place pretty well. There's a large mural on the side of the building. And I was visiting with an ex-girlfriend and she was interested in purchasing a specific instrument. So we went to look together. When I walked into this building, I immediately felt off. It just felt like there was something wrong about this building. I couldn't quite put my finger on it because it is a little bit creepy. It's a very old building and the furniture and decorations inside is very vintage and antique as well. So it just kind of gives a older vibe to it, which sometimes can be mistaken as creepy. But there was something definitely off about this building. My girlfriend at the time went with the worker who was there to the room where the instruments she was looking for was at. While she was looking and playing different instruments, I decided to just take a look around to walk around. So as I was wandering, I wasn't really paying attention to where I was walking until I got to the cello room. Now, the room with the cellos was on a completely different floor, and I don't remember walking upstairs. I don't remember really any of the time in between when I left the room where my girlfriend was at to the moment where I got to the cello room. I kind of just 
appeared in this room almost as if I was drawn to it. And when I sort of came to, my ghost sense was going off the rails. It was telling me that there was something in here that was incredibly upset that I had interrupted its space without its permission. And I was looking around because the sense that I have, I didn't know uh, about this until I started listening to Dark House podcast, but it was clairsentience where I could feel the energy in the room. And as I said, it was very angry and upset that I had come in unwelcome. As I looked around, there was this really large painting on the wall of a woman who was overlooking all of the cellos. And now I don't know if this spirit was attached to the painting, if the spirit was the woman of itself, but it was kind of symbolic of the person who was looking over and watching the cellos. This was their space that they had kept for themselves, that they had felt that they needed to protect. And I had come in without asking for permission or anything like that. And I could tell that the spirit wanted me not only out of the room, but out of the building. So I slowly walked my way back down to find my girlfriend. And by this time, she had picked out the instrument she wanted and was with the worker at the cash register. So I walk up to my girlfriend and I tell her, hey, just let you know, there was something upstairs in the cello room that I bumped into. It didn't want me in there. Uh, I'm going to go outside. I'm pretty sure there was a ghost there. When I said this, the worker's face turned white, absolutely pale as a ghost himself. And I could see that I kind of confirmed something without ever being told that there was a ghost there. And I reiterated myself. I said, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I can sense ghosts and there's something in the cello room that didn't want me here and I'm just going to go outside. And as I watched this man, I could see his face just fully. Every event that ever happened to him, I could see on his face. It was just such a strange experience and it's one of the strongest things that I've ever experienced. The setting of an antique shop is an interesting new territory for us, I feel, other than a house. But it really creeps me out. I totally relate to that feeling of being upstairs in the antique store or the whether it's like a specialty place like this where it was mostly instruments and used instruments. I just I know what he means where something is wanting you to get out, whether it's your gut or an actual ghost up for debate. But oh, and the poor store employee, that part of the story when he's like, I saw his face drop. I mean, he's definitely been at odds with the lady in the cello room for months. Well, I always wonder what their intention is. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if you have any theories of what it would be, but oh, I know that's why I'm like, why is she so overprotective over the cellos? It's interesting, too, because he was saying that it's an antique collection of instruments, but you can buy them. I wonder if she does mm. not want people buying oh. that specific oh. set of cellos. And so she's like, get out. I also, I mean, speaking of haunted paintings, I know that that's not necessarily where the story goes, but it reminds me of in The Witches, the Royal Doll movie version, when the little kids get trapped in the painting. I have never been able to shake that narrative. Did you ever see it or no? No. Uh, well, it's basically like there's this painting and witches can trap little kids in it. So you you might go missing. Parents don't know where you are. Gone forever. And you've really been trapped inside the oil painting in their living room your entire life. Grim. But yeah, the uh, is, if anybody else has been to this museum store 
and had a similar experience. That's why I wanted to share that one. I'm like, mm, I wonder if anybody else. Well, also, hasn't he said that he's been seeing ghosts since he was a kid? Yes, actually. He DM'd us another story, one from childhood that I have to read to you because it reminded me of the Hoboken apartment ghost that we talked about in our first episode this season. So, Oh my gosh, yes, read it. Jed grew up in a very old farmhouse. And one time when he was about five or six, his dad was at work and his mom was outside gardening. So he was alone in the house. And all of a sudden he heard his mom call his name from upstairs. So he went up there to look for her, but she wasn't there. So he's looking and looking all over the house and his mom hears him calling her from outside. So then she comes inside. And he said when she walked in the front door, he felt something grab his neck and arms and it made his skin crawl. And then for years, whenever he was alone in the living room, he would hear his name being called from the landing upstairs. But after Mm -hmm. that first time, he never went to check again when he would hear it. Yeah, good. So then this is the part I wanted to read to you. Okay. He said, my second memorable experience was again when I was younger. I was in the bathroom home alone for one of the first times. I went up to go to the bathroom and left the door open because my dog at the time used to like to come in and sit on the bathroom rug. While I was in the bathroom with the door open, out of the corner of my eye, I saw what looked like someone dressed in white past the door. I knew no one was home and I got really scared, but not as scared as when I saw that the person looked like they had on a wedding train that was dragging behind them. But it wasn't really dragging. It was gliding across the ground. I was terrified, so I went to look for my dog who was hiding under my bed. I just had to look over my shoulder. This ghostly wedding train was around the exact same area that me and my brothers had heard that womanly voice. But why were they trying to talk to him? Why was she saying Jed? Lure the youngest, the most gullible. I don't know. <laughs> Actually, don't know if he was the youngest, but I don't know. Spooky. Freaky. Freaky. Thank you, Jed, for sending those in. Gosh, there are so many haunted brides. So many, so many jilted brides. And you Ugh. know what? I don't blame them. More power. Yeah, I get yeah. it. This story, our next one, comes from Megan, who has had a supernatural experience at her childhood home. And her story actually takes place right outside of it on a quiet country road. So here is the clip. So I grew up in upstate New York and my childhood home was on a country road. There was little to no traffic. There weren't even painted lines really just no reason to be on that road unless you live there. So when I was about nine or 10, I was in my backyard playing with my amazing dog. His name was Gaysar. His previous owner who gave him to us before she decided to become a nun, she named him after, I think, a Turkish prince. Anyway, I was in the backyard playing with my dog and all of a sudden, Gaysar's ears just perked up and his entire body stiffened. And I watched as he kind of quickly trotted around the side of the house to go to the front where our driveway was. So I was thinking that he must have heard my dad coming home from work or something. So I followed him around the side of the house and I just found him looking down our driveway, which was about 50 yards from the street. His tail was straight back and up. His whole body was stiff and all of the hair on the back of his neck was sticking straight up. So it was totally clear that my dad's car was not coming up the driveway. And I just kind of asked Gaysar, like, you know, what are you doing? What are you looking at? And I went to kind of walk around him so I could see a different angle to the street. And he 
quickly just shifted his body to block me from stepping past him. And then he kind of backed up, so I had to take a few steps back. So this was not typical behavior from him at all, and I just immediately felt like something was off. And so out of nowhere, Gaysar's head just like whipped towards the left side of the driveway, and he was just staring straight down towards the street. And when I followed his gaze, I saw what looked like a woman with kind of like a shawl of some kind blowing behind her, like running down the street, passing our driveway. And I say what looked like because there were no distinguishing features. The figure was just blackish gray, almost like a three-dimensional shadow. And then a few seconds later, another figure appeared behind the first one. This one was like taller and it kind of looked like a man wearing a hat of some kind chasing after this woman. So they passed the opening of our driveway in just a few seconds and I lost visibility to them because on the right side of our driveway, there was a really dense bunch of tall pine trees, which was kind of blocking the view of the road in that like small section. But then they never came out on the other side of those trees where I had a clear view of the road ahead of them and they just disappeared. And there's no way they could have turned off the road or anything because straight across from our property was just a huge open field all the way up to like a farmhouse. So there was just nowhere for them to have gone that I wouldn't have eventually been able to see them. Even stranger, when they didn't come out on the other side of the pine trees, Gaysar kind of like waited a second and then finally just his whole body relaxed. And he turned to look at me and his face was just like, what the fuck? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. We were just looking at each other for a while. But a few years later, I looked a little bit into our town's history and a lot of the older houses in my little town were hundreds of years old at that point. And maybe they were built on top of older houses or just, you know, fixed up. That was pretty common, but it's kind of an interesting addition to a pretty freaky incident. So that happened. And, you know, Gaysar passed away when I was a teenager, but he was the best dog ever. And he totally had my back that day, even though I'm sure he was also scared shitless. And, you know, those are probably real people. So stay vigilant, stay spooky. I mean, there is just something about her dog seeing it, too, that makes it too real. I know. That's always when I get the most scared is when I can see my dog, Millie, barking at the corner and there's nothing in the corner, but she's going crazy at something. Mm. I just have to think that maybe there's something I can't sense that she can. Oh, totally. Also, classic, no features. Always with the no features. Scary. Ugh. Ugh. That was a good one. Totally. Well, the last one I want to share is a little, I find it to be a little lighter, but let's see. We've been asked to change the listener's name. So this is from not her real name, Brittany. (laughs) And we don't have a recording of Brittany's story. So I'll read it to you myself. My house was built in 1940. 
It's a one-story colonial in a historic section in Jacksonville. The original owners lived in the house until 2009. The husband had passed away a few years prior and the wife sold the house and I think passed away a year later. The couple was by all accounts of everyone who knew them, the sweetest. Mm. From what we've been told, they were unable to have children, though they desperately wanted them. The couple we purchased from, who had purchased from the original owner slash wife, lived in the house six years and had a toddler. They were devastated when they had to sell, but had to move because of work. When my husband and I purchased, we were the first to walk through the house and I just felt the magic. We made an offer right away, and this was after looking for a year already. Wow. We waited about a year and a half after moving in to try and have a baby. We got pregnant on the first try. We ended up having a miscarriage, but once we were cleared to try again, immediately got pregnant again. The same thing happened with our second two. We got pregnant with our second the first month we tried. Of course, we could be just extremely lucky and blessed, but that's not all. When my children were infants, I swear I'd see in the corner of my eye someone going into the nursery when the baby cried, just a quick shadow going in. I'd also get a feeling that someone was watching me bathe the baby whenever I was in the bathroom with them. So much so that I'd often look behind me. Oh no. Then, with my second, I got the Nanit baby monitor. The cool thing about this monitor is that it analyzes baby sleep and how often you go in to check on the baby to help you get the baby sleeping longer. So when you go in and check on the baby, the monitor says, caretaker visits baby. Here's the creepy part. We started getting that message when we were never in there. Oh no. I asked others who had the same monitor and it never happened to them. Hmm. I stopped checking the monitor because it was freaking me out too much. I can look back on it and not be scared, but it was really creepy in the moment. Mm. Our house is on the smaller side and we've definitely outgrown it. And we've been looking for a bigger house for four years now. Whenever we tour a bigger house we like, we come back home and immediately feel the magic. And it's like the house is begging us to stay. We haven't been able to leave. My husband and I both feel it. I ended up running into the couple we bought the house from and I told the wife how I think the couple is still here and how I think it may be crazy, but they helped us have our kids and check in on our babies. And she said they got pregnant on their first try too. She said they felt the same way about the house and it was devastating for them to leave. So I do 100% believe the couple is here and helping fill this house with kids like they were unable to do. Mm. Interesting, right? That's a really sweet ghost story, frankly. I wish all ghosts could be that nice. I know. And generous with their babysitting hours. I agree. I, I really liked getting something that was lighter and more positive. And we've talked about so many houses where it's this weird, mysterious, mm-hmm. you feel drawn in by the house and then you're in there and it's like a trap. But this is the opposite. They feel drawn to the house. Because of a good reason or good intentions. Yeah, good intentions. And also, it doesn't sound like they're forcing their hand. The other couple was able to leave. Right, right, right. I mean, frankly, too, maybe it's because they're not meant to leave the house yet. And if this couple is kind of watching over it, then maybe they'll stop putting them under that magic spell or whatever whenever they feel like it's their time to leave. And very nice story. So thank Mm -hmm. you for sending that one in. Yes. And that was the last listener submitted ghost story we have for you today. So thank you to everyone who has been sending them to us. And please, please, please keep them coming. Yeah, please keep all of your messages coming, even if you don't have a ghost story to share. We love hearing from you either way. And definitely feel free to reach out to us with houses you want to hear about next or things you think we should dig into. Getting listener requests is also super helpful for us. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, Someone wrote in asking if we could make a Watcher House Part 3 episode comparing the differences between the real house and the one in the Netflix series, which is an interesting idea. 
Should we share some of our thoughts on the show right now? I would be remiss if we didn't. Okay. Everyone listening right now, if you haven't listened to those episodes, there are two parts. Part one, we just go through the facts of what happened. And then part two, we were able to meet with psychology professor Casey Lytle, and he helped us dig into the possible suspects and the theories around who could have been writing those letters. It's really interesting. So definitely make sure you listen to it. But we've been waiting and waiting all year to get to watch the Netflix version of what happened. So it's fictionalized. If you guys haven't seen it yet, it's produced by Ryan Murphy, who's responsible for the American Horror Story series. For me, I was really excited and I was really interested in how are they going to take this story and fictionalize it? What are the liberties that they're going to take? And if I'm being completely honest, way more liberties were taken than I was expecting. So let's get into it. If you've not watched the Netflix Watcher series, you're definitely going to need to fast forward over this because this is going to be chock full of spoilers. But immediately things that I noticed, the house in the show is a lot more grand and newer than the house in real life. And also I noticed that they kept mentioning that either it's by a lake or it's right on the water, which is definitely not true of 657 mm-hmm. Boulevard in real life. So I was like, that's a weird little yeah. thing to add. Like, it was just a weird detail. Why drag lake culture into Well, this? because they never even, they don't go to the lake. So why are we talking about it? I didn't understand that. And then they added some creepier interior details, like those secret hidden tunnels. As far as we know, mm. there's no such underground tunnel series in real life. And they also added a dumbwaiter which oh. is very interesting and honestly very creepy. I feel like we don't talk about dumbwaiters enough. And this was something that I didn't include in the SK Pierce Mansion episode. But there are stories of somebody opening the dumbwaiter at that house and <gasps> seeing a ghost. So that was a really interesting addition to me. And then obviously yeah. it came with a jump scare. So creepy. And you know me. So I'm going to give you a quick history lesson about dumbwaiters. Basically, the patent for dumbwaiters was, I think they got it in the late 1800s. So they were more popularized during the Victorian era. Essentially what they are is mini elevators. And they were really popular in urban environments for wealthy families who had to support more vertical living instead of having to run up and down the stairs. Well, I don't want to take this. Who, who do I think I am? I was going to say, I don't want to take this to a dark place, but imagine <laughs> sticking your head in to try to see if the dumbwaiters come. Like, it's dangerous. Elevators are dangerous too. And then it like bonks onto your head. Chops your head off. Yeah. Oh, yeah I'm yeah, just yeah. saying. Anyway. Plot-wise, obviously, they took creative liberties. Yeah. That was where they started to lose me. Like, the side plot about the cult that was drinking kids' blood. I just... It was too much. Well, it made it less scary. Uh, Yeah, I feel like the true story is very scary. And there was a lot to do there that going off on all these side tangents that were less realistic, it wasn't necessary. Yeah, I kept wanting to be like, you're just doing too much. Yeah. You had me and now you don't. Speaking of doing too much, blending the John List murder oh, oh, with this. Oh. Oof, I couldn't believe it. I was texting you furiously. Because also that story deserves, I mean, not only does it deserve its own episode on Dark House, but it deserves a way more interesting coverage, I think, instead of this fictionalized weird subplot that confused people about the real story, in my opinion. It's just, they're different and it's too much for one story, in my opinion. Anyways. One more thing I'll say is about the ferret. Mm. (laughs) That was another interesting direction that they took. However, it did remind me of when Casey Lytle was saying that if Derek Broaddus himself were behind the letters, that he doesn't think that's true because if he were Derek, he would be amping it up a lot more by doing things like leaving 
some roadkill on the doorstep. And I was like, okay, so maybe some people did have that same thought that he did. And they wanted to incorporate that into the story more. But I don't know. It was just taking it to another level of creepiness. Yeah, it did make sense to do that. It was interesting for there to be that connection with how Casey kind of pointed that out. And then it ended Mm -hmm. up in the show. But at the same time, certain things that went so far off from the truth, for example, when the old couple fakes their own death and then comes back. Oh, that was so confusing. I feel like it takes you out of the story a little bit when weird things like that happen and you're trying to keep up with like, wait a minute, they they are not dead. What was the reason they said so? It obviously went very far from the true story and the houses were honestly so different. Did you watch Cabinet of Curiosities by Guillermo del Toro on Netflix? No. Okay. It was an interesting series and I really like him as a creator, but the best episode in my opinion was the final one called The Murmuring and it was directed by Jennifer Kent, who she also directed The Duke, which is amazing. Basically, Mm -hmm. Jennifer Kent, I love your work, but (laughs) if I could have seen what she did with the original narrative and how she interpreted that and then brought this sort of domestic drama into the horror space and also brought some humanity back to the characters, I would have loved that. Yeah. I will say the addition of the realtor character much appreciated because oh yes. Jennifer Coolidge is a national treasure. Obviously, my favorite line from the entire show is when she's like, you know, I always ask for a holiday poor or whatever she said. <laughs> so funny. Speaking of favorite lines delivered by Jennifer Coolidge, I am obsessed with the line in White Lotus where she's like, what a beautiful view. I wonder if anyone's ever jumped here because it's so us. What an intrusive thought that is so relatable. Well, I'm definitely interested to see where they go with the second season. Will they ever reveal who the Watcher is or not? Yeah, I don't know how interested I am, but I'll probably tune in. Well, if you guys watched the Netflix series and have thoughts on season one or season two, DM us on Instagram because we love hearing the theories from you guys. Totally. Another interesting request that we got, someone DM'd us asking if they could expect any holiday-themed stories from us, which I know you went digging and looking for if there was anything holiday-related lore that we should discuss. Did you find anything? I did find some, but I was hoping for something even creepier. I have a few. I'll share them. The first is a legend that comes from South Africa, and it's about this little boy named Danny, and he's known as Danny the Christmas Ghost Boy. The legend goes that this little boy, Danny, went about his Christmas business and put out cookies for Santa Claus right after his grandmother had freshly baked them. You can probably tell where this is going, right? Can you? I actually can't, know. Okay. <laughs> this could go anywhere. So he goes into the kitchen once everyone has gone to sleep and he sneaks some of the cookies for himself. Mm, okay. And potential trigger warning needed here, but his grandmother found him and killed him. Because he snuck a cookie. I'm laughing because it escalates so much. This is clearly a story that adults tell kids to be like, don't eat the don't, cookies yeah. that are for Santa. Or also, don't stay up and try to catch Santa. But now the legend goes that he haunts little boys and girls around the country to warn them on Christmas Eve not to sneak out of bed in the middle of the night because they could get murdered. Jeez. I know. I mean, obviously the grandma is the real scary one in this. Yeah, start haunting her. Interesting. Yeah. So that's one. And then I have two other stories. Both of them, my research comes from the Smithsonian, which is great for figuring out origins of holidays and reading about that kind of thing. So Hmm. Norway's Christmas witches. I've actually always been really interested in this 
topic because I've seen it pop up before, but I never really dug into it. Basically, in the U.S., we associate Halloween with creepy spirits infiltrating our realm because it's the night when the veil is the thinnest, right? Mm -hmm. In Norway, the legend actually associates witches and such evils like that that you would encounter in Halloween Town, for example, on Christmas Eve. So traditionally, this is when families would celebrate the holiday on Christmas Eve instead of like big day of, and they would have their feast and have all of the family gather at the family home. And one of the traditions is joining hands in a circle and two actually. So there'd be one in the middle and then like an outer circle and they would dance in opposite directions, singing Christmas carols around this decorated Christmas tree. But there was a twist. While they did this, they had to hide all the brooms in the house because otherwise this singing might lure in some witches. And while they were all busy, the witches would then steal their brooms if they were out in the open and go fly away on them and do some witchy business. But what's the connection between Christmas Eve and witches? Why do they... What I think that it's because it's connected to winter solstice and being so... It's the shortest days of the year. So maybe there's something there about realms being open on these days when the sun is around for the shortest. I don't know. That's confusing, though, because witches are, you know, alive. It's related to like pagan legends and groups in very ancient times and then has just been repurposed, I think, or has evolved over the years. We might need to dig more into that. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I have one more. Have you ever wondered who Krampus is? I've heard there's a movie that obviously I didn't see, but I didn't. Yeah. I don't know a lot about it. So I think too, just phonetically, it sounds similar to Christmas. So there are ties to it with Christmas and different traditions, but that's what I've just always been like, it must be Santa Claus's evil twin. And that's not totally true, but it is his evil counterpart. So Hmm. from this traditional Alpine folklore, the story goes that Krampus is a demon, half demon, half goat, but has some more human-like features. He has Uh. hooves. He has horns. He's a monster. And he essentially kidnaps and eats bad kids. Mm. The naughty list. Yeah, if you're on the naughty list, really is what it is. But he doesn't just give you coal. He beats you with a stick. And then eats you. I think so. But they also apparently would do some good where they would chase away ghosts who were arriving at the dead of winter, aka winter solstice. And then eventually the legend morphed into he's actually a bad guy. And he's Santa's counterpart, really. And he doesn't just, though, go after bad kids. He also goes after bad adults, Hmm. which I could get behind. Right. Anyway, that's it for my Christmas folklore. Jeez. I feel like Elf on the Shelf, <laughs> if anybody has a weird story of their Elf on the Shelf moving and doing yes. weird shit that wasn't planned, tell us. Dying to know. You just know that cheeky little grin of his is up to something. He's a menace. He is. Yeah. yeah. I'm actually really glad that that wasn't invented until like way after our childhood. Same. I don't need him in my life. Well, that's interesting. I, I love a little a folklore lesson. Not to ruin the good holiday fun. (laughs) Don't you have a Christmas ghost story that you've been holding out on me for a while? It's sort of a Christmas ghost story. It was actually the day after Christmas, the evening of the 26th. That year, my aunt had given me, my mom, and my sister each this plastic angel figurine nightlight. It's not like a plug into the wall nightlight, by the way. Standalone. So anyways... It's the night of the 26th and I am woken from my sleep by a voice or by something. I don't know how to explain it because it was literally right in my ear, like whispering in my ear. 
Oh my gosh. And it was a different language. It wasn't anything I could understand. Could you like sense what type of language it was? No. But I knew I woke up heart pounding, sweating, knew immediately that it was something supernatural, not a dream, not normal. The next night before bed, I went and got one of the angel light figurines and I put it on my dresser. And I turned it on and just let that be it. But any theories as to what it was? It had to be some type of demon or something. Something not but a But why around Christmas, do you think? I don't know. It was just so fucking weird. Excuse my language. I It was so... <laughs> I no explanation for it. Did the nightlight help? Yes. Also, after my mom found out, you know how she is. She was like, <laughs> starts Googling. <laughs> and then I tried to Google it the other day as we were prepping for this episode. And I knew I might tell you the story and I could not find anything online. But she somewhere read that putting red ribbons on your doors will keep ghosts away. And uh-huh. to this day, there's a red ribbon on literally every door. And the oh first gosh. door of my house, the front door and all of our bedroom doors. That's so funny. funny. I haven't had any direct ghost experiences here since then. Our house, I feel like there's a lot of weird moments where I'll hear a sound. It'll sound like somebody's dropping a package on the front stoop, but Ooh. no one did that. Or it's like, like something fell in a downstairs or in another room or whatever. I'll hear a lot of weird noises. The other night, actually, I didn't even tell you this, but I woke up and I heard like the distinct sound of somebody hammering metal twice. Mm. But nobody else was awake. I don't know what it was. Wait, I have I have a story for you. Because okay. your ribbon thing made me realize something. I'm putting it together. I like the look of old school tassels on doorknobs. Hmm. I live in an old brownstone in a converted apartment. And there's a lot of mahogany. We have a kind of mauve, really ornate fireplace. So I was like, okay, I have a lot of more modern furniture. I need to find accents that blend these things. So I got olive green iridescent tassels and I put them on some of the doorknobs to give it a nice flow. And basically my landlord was over the other day because we had an issue with the sink. And it's these two guys, but basically they asked what I do for a living. I told them that I have this podcast and that's one of the things that I do. And they were like, oh, well, this place is totally haunted. And the person who was the tenant in this room before one time sent us a message asking if we had a lot of relatives coming in and out of this house growing up. And they did because this home used to be their grandmother's. And when she passed away, they got it from her. I kind of didn't want to hear it. I was going to say, it might seem like I'm down to hear this type of story, but I don't know why the fuck you're telling me. I don't know why the heck you're telling me. Excuse my language. Then I was kind of like, oh, no way. And this woman apparently woke up in the middle of the night. And the reason she asked that question is because she would always see large groups of people standing over the bed. And this was definitely not a bedroom back in the day. So maybe it was like a a big living room or something. I'm surprised they were just readily offering up this information. Oh, my God. Insane of them. Also, where was this when you moved in? Why didn't they tell you before? Well, they were like, ha, ha, ha. This isn't going to scare you, is it? And I was like, I mean, I just resigned the lease. But also... Funny enough, I'm thinking about it now because I'm like, wait, I have tassels on the door. I haven't seen anything in here. I kind of don't even buy the story because I have never experienced anything but good energy in here, nor have I heard anything weird except for the banging in the walls that we discussed in the Smurl episode. But I'm wondering (laughs) if, even though they're not red, maybe those little tassels are helping. Yeah, or maybe these ghosts just like you. I mean, can you see anything behind me right now? Because I'm recording in that room. No. You're clear. Good. (laughs) Anyway, Merry Christmas. Anyway. Should we... I feel like we can transition to closing everything up, which we're not good at. We're not good at goodbyes. Please. I'm not Sam Smith. I'm going to save all my other personal ghost stories for 
the future. The nebulous future. We just want to take a minute again to say thank you to everybody who's been listening, who's staying tuned every week and is enjoying these stories. Thank you to everyone who has reached out to us throughout this season and last. We read all of your messages and comments and reviews, and it really means a lot to us to hear from listeners who are enjoying the show or want to talk about any of the things that we're covering in the actual episodes. It's always really, I think it's for me, definitely one of the top three most rewarding parts of doing this podcast at all. So thank you. We are always here. If you have to tell somebody a ghost story, you can come to us. Absolutely. We both have been feeling like we have this new community too that didn't exist before we started doing this podcast. And I hope that everyone who listens can feel that too. And we just continue to build that. While we're on this thank you parade too, I really want to take a minute to say that we could not do anything that we've done so far with Dark House without our incredible team. So a huge, huge, huge thank you to our producer, Jesse Karen, our sound designer, Jacob Stone, and our assistant audio editor, Ian Munsell, for all of the incredible work that they have done this season. We really couldn't make the show without them. And of course, there would be no Dark House without you all, the listeners. So thank you again for coming on this journey with us. We hope to be able to continue bringing stories to you. So the best way to find out if and when we are coming back would be to follow us on Instagram. You can follow the show at Dark House Podcast. If you also want to follow us on our personal accounts, both of ours are just our full names. I'll quickly spell out my name so it's easy for everyone to reference. It's at H-A-D-L-E-Y-M-E-N-D-E-L-S-O-H-N. And mine is at A-L-Y-S-S-A-F-I-O-R-E-N-T-I. And oh, God, what a long name. Both of ours are so long. Sorry, guys. (laughs) And then also in the reviews, of course, it sounds like a broken record, but truly that is the best way to publicly show that you are hungry for more haunted house stories and beyond. Who knows? Happy New Year. We could say that. Happy New Year. If any ghosts come to you, come to us. And don't eat the Christmas cookies. Yeah. And if a scary grandma knocks on the door and says, may I have a place to sleep for the evening, don't let her in. No, you may not. (laughs) And if Santa comes hopping down the chimney. Okay, I'm going to stop. Oh, my God. (laughs) 